They don't usually let me do this, except unless it's Labor Day or Memorial Day, because no one's here. Uh, but it's the beginning of the year, there's people here, and they let me do this. So uh, bear with me, because they have a mic right here. And so with it being here, I have to turn my hands. A little awkward, uh, but we'll get through this together. So I hope everybody's having a great new year so far. Um, and speaking of a new year, I do this with my youth kids all the time. If any of the students here, they, they've heard me do this a lot of times. I ask a lot of questions, and I make them respond, okay? So we're just, you're not going to have to say anything out loud, I promise, but we're going to take a poll here. Uh, so we're going to get a little interactive this morning. So who in here had a New Year's resolution, whether you've kept it up or not? Maybe you've had one, or maybe you've had more than one. But who in here has had a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. Okay, like resolution three people. Okay. I think everybody has just had a New Year's resolution. Okay. Now, of those people who did have a resolution, uh, oh, you're right. How many of those resolutions involved fitness or health? If you had one about fitness or health, keep your hand up and you've already put it back down. Okay, a few, so like 10% of you. Uh, but no, uh, there's a lot of people who make those New Year's resolutions to, to be more fit. Uh, and if you have done that this year, I'm so excited about it. That is awesome. I love it. Uh, but the question is how do we go from keeping just a New Year's resolution, a goal, a small goal, how do we make that into a lifelong change? So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about change. Uh, we're in the change series. We're going to talk about specifically regards to fitness. But don't worry, we're going to make this go full circle. It's not just going to be fitness. We're going to talk about uh, change in many areas of our life, including our lives with Christ. So I think we can all agree, though, that one of the universal desires of human beings is this desire to improve. And Chris kind of talked about this last week. No one says, you know, I just feel like being worse than I was last year. It's not a common goal that you hear. So everybody wants to be better uh, this year. Maybe not even just leaders or social but they just want to be better versions of themselves. And it's universal. <clears throat> we all want to grow. We all want to get better. And we all want to improve. And we all want to make something of our lives. And one of the proofs of that is we spend billions of dollars every year on projects and products and gizmos and gadgets that we think are going to improve our lives and make us better, make our lives better. And there's just entire industry built around the idea of it. You just buy our product or you eat our product or whatever. You, your life will be better because of it. And that happens a lot in fitness too. I saw a commercial this morning just, uh, that just reminded me of that. And we also have one to show you uh, one this morning that will prove that they try to sell anything to make your life better. just for home. I mean, after all, for some of us, at least 40 hours of our week is spent sitting behind a desk at the office. So to see what office workers think of the Hawaii chair, we send Erin Lee to work. Hi, I'm Erin Lee with Perfect USA. Today, Dean brought the Hawaii chair to a very busy work environment. Let's get some first-time reactions. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> I can really feel this working. A white chair while answering phones, using the computer, balancing books, or filing paper. You can hardly call this work. With a white chair, it takes the work out of your work day. You can sit, you can get fit, a white chair. <laughs> so I don't want to step on anybody's toes if they have one of these. Well, here it goes. Um, does anybody in here actually have one? 
this video really needs that much of an explanation. Uh, this thing does not work. I can promise you that. It is a quick fix type of product that doesn't actually fix anything, even quickly. Uh, and guess what? It inspires no change in life at all. In fact, it encourages just sitting there. The tagline is, if you can sit, you can make things. And I don't think that's very inspirational. You don't see, those, see that quote on any of those inspirational posters. But is there anything out there that can really get guaranteed permanent change? And is there anything that can really transform my life and actually, actually make the changes that can be part of me? And I'm not talking superficial or curious changes, but I'm talking changes in the deepest part of us. And the classic text of the Bible on how to change is in the Book of Romans. The uh, Book of Romans is in the New Testament. Uh, it's the sixth book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're going to be in chapter 12, uh, the first 12 verses, if you're keeping score at home. And it gives us the text on what it really takes to change. So we're going to go through and break this down and talk about the principles for lasting change based on uh, this text in Romans 12. So the first principle is actually in verse 1. We're going to call this the principle of dedication. That's I commit my body to God. And Chris kind of talked about this last week as well. Now that's the starting point. For any change to happen in any area of life, you, you want financially, vocationally, educationally, relationally, <clears throat> mentally, it actually uh, works best to begin with the physical aspect. I commit my body to God. And it says it right in the Bible. We're going to take a look at that verse here in just a minute. But why? Why do we start with the physical aspect? You know, we talked, again, we talked about this a little last week. Your body affects your behavior. And your muscles affect your mood muscles affect your motivation. And a lot of us understand this. You know, for those who have started any kind of workout routine, whether it be weight training, uh, walking, playing with the dog more, uh, your mood is a bit different when you get into it, right? Today, when we do Zumba, or you go to the wellness center, as you leave, you're going to feel, your mood's going to be a little bit different. You're going to feel a little bit different. When you start to get motivated in other areas of your life, and you see positive changes uh, in your physical life. And I know this all too well. A lot of you may know this already, but I'm not exactly what we would call a structured person by any means. I kind of live with this laid-back mentality where I think, I'll just get to it when I get to it, no big deal. But the problem is that I usually don't get to things, and I just kind of forget. However, I do notice that when I get motivated to exercise and get in a routine that way, and I get some type of routine or structure, uh, I get more structure in other areas of my life as well other areas of my life affected in, in a positive way. And I start to be more dedicated in my time spent with God. I get more dedicated in doing both the large and the small tasks at work, uh, even if it's Chris who asks me to do it. Now, I get motivated in all sorts of different areas of my life, and it all starts with dedication physically. So God says, all of your bodies, so we start there, because physiology affects psychology. So the actual verse, Romans 12, 1, says, therefore, Urging brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And this verse is so packed with material, we can almost spend the entire day on it. Um, so we're not going to like this. We're just going to tear it apart a little bit, though. Just to summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans, uh, he's saying, in light of everything I just said in the first 11 chapters of Romans, there's so many cool things to talk about God has done for you. All this grace, all this mercy. In light of all that, chapter 12, he says, uh, 
In light of all these mercies and amazing things of God's grace, offer your fathers. So because of everything God has done for you, you can go back and read all of Romans 1 to 11, and I really encourage you to. He says, offer your bodies. You know, notice he doesn't start off saying, offer your heart to Jesus. And that may be offensive to some people. They've always been told, offer your heart to God. Uh, but he says right here, offer your bodies to Him. He uh, doesn't say, uh, offer your spirit to Jesus. He doesn't say, offer your soul to Jesus. Uh, now, we get there. We get there eventually, uh, for sure. But we offer our bodies Maybe ask people why. Because that's all we have. That's all we have. As long as we're on this planet, everything we do for God, with God, in God, we're going to do, and with uh, our body in God. So it says, offer your body. Because the Bible teaches that both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the body is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So now we need to find out this law of change. We're going to look at laws of change in God's Word as well. Um, the first law of change is change is my choice. And it's always my choice. Change is always my choice. Nobody can force you to change. Nobody can make you change. I can't talk to you to change. Chris can't talk to you to change. Your spouse may think they can talk to you to change, but they really can't talk to you to change. And that's probably why I'm not there. Uh, but you will not change until you good and well decide to change. And that's just true. We don't change until we decide to change. That's the first law. The law or change is my choice. So then he says, therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. The problem with a living sacrifice is that we can choose to count it as a sacrifice, right? And we kind of do this all the time. We, we offer ourselves to God, and then we take ourselves back. We do it almost every day. So this isn't just a once-off, you're done, I offer myself to God, I'm set for the rest of my life to go, is it? answer to that is no. You know, I mess up one day, so then I offer myself to God the next day. Or even better, I offer myself to Him again right after I mess up. Because if it were once and for all thing, we'd all be pretty bad sacrifices, because I'm pretty sure we've all messed up since we offered ourselves to God. So we're just going to use a little scenario here. Uh, on January 1st, I say to God, God, I'm sure going to take care of my body. This body will give me up and work out every day. And then the next day, we're like, well, not every day. I'm going to let my muscles breathe a little bit. I'll work out every other day. And then the next day, we're like, yeah, I don't, you know, don't want to get caught up to this beauty culture or anything. Uh, plus, God, you who set me just how I am. You set it yourself. So I don't need to do anything else. And then we're done, right? We, we feel like we failed the first sacrifice. Uh, we, we, we're not working out every day. So we quit. We wait until next January to make another New Year's resolution. Do it all over again, okay? Or we come to church, we sing I Am Love, we sing some of the songs we sang this morning, and then on Monday we go AWOL, right? We're just not in it anymore. So we have to offer our, our bodies a sacrifice every day. It's a daily thing. It's, a, it's our spiritual act of worship. And you may say, wait a minute, there's actually something I can do with my body that would be an act of worship? And absolutely, that, the answer is yes. We're going to talk about three specific things you can do with your body that are acts of worship. Three things that you can do with your body that the Bible clearly says are acts of worship. And the first of those is I can cleanse my body. Okay? We're talking about detox here. We're talking about not putting poison in my body by cleansing my body. Now, I'm not saying you're going home and drinking bottles of poison. If you're doing that, you should probably stop uh, right now. That would be the best decision, best in your best interest. 
but by cleansing our body, we, it can be an act of worship. And there may be some things you're putting in your body that you need to stop putting in your body. And so I'm not going to pull any punches here. Uh, we need to cleanse our body of those toxins, those poisons, the bad stuff. So we notice how there's no donuts in the break room right now, huh? It'd be kind of hypocritical if I was talking about this. We were all just going to chomp on our donuts. Uh, now they are going to be back. For those who are worried, I've had some people ask me where the donuts. They will be back in a fewer number. Uh, but for this for this campaign, there's no donuts here. Uh, and maybe maybe it's not that you're going to give up donuts forever. But maybe you grab a banana with that donut. Or maybe you every other week you try to go with the healthy option. So Second Corinthians seven one says, "Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit." Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And notice the motivation here. Okay? He says, I want to be holy before God. I'm doing this as an act of worship, as an act of reverence to God. Because God made my body, so I better take care of it, right? Again, the verse says, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And in that verse, it says, everything that contaminates the body or the spirit. So we contaminate our spirit by what we see with our eyes, we see things, we hear things. Uh, what we listen to, what we watch, that can contaminate our spirit. But you contaminate your body by what you eat and what you drink. And so the first thing you do, the Bible can says, out of reverence for God, is you can cleanse your body of the contaminants. That's an actual act of worship. The next way is by caring for our body. You know, I can care for my body. That's an act of worship. I can care for my body. Caring for your body is an act of stewardship because what we think we own is really on loan, Right? Uh, we don't really own anything, our bodies even. It's all God's. Um, God has just loaned it to us. Uh, so the Bible says in Ephesians 5.29, it says, No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church. So he says we can care for our bodies, just like Christ cares for his body, the church. Caring for your body can be an act of worship. You know, what if Christ stopped caring for his body, stopped caring for the church? I would say we'd be pretty contaminated at that point. So you're saying, how do I care for my body? Well, trying to keep it in shape is a, is a good way to do that. Um, and this can be an act of worship to God. We, we don't always tie those things together, uh, but we're going to do that today. Now, am I saying you need to go from doing absolutely nothing and eating donuts uh, to a strict diet, working out seven days a week for three hours at a time? Yes, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, no, that's crazy. Uh, we're talking about taking steps in the right direction, small steps. And, you know, Chris is trying to take some small steps, too. And they weren't, uh, weren't kind of jiving at first, so we decided we would bring in the big guns, and we brought Jen in on a little intervention. Now, Chris, it is time to eat your fruits and vegetables. No! No, no, no! No! Your fruits and vegetables are very important. They help you grow big and strong. No, 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 no! Now, come on, just give it a try. You need this to help you grow. No, 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 no! Let's try this. Let's do Strawberry Express. Here it comes. Vroom, vroom. Mmm, yummy strawberry. Vroom, vroom. Ooh, good. 
Good boy. Good job. Nice try. That's our pastor, by the way. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, uh, his teachings sound a lot like that as well. Uh, a lot of us laugh because if you've known Chris for any amount of time, it's probably come up that he hates anything healthy, especially fruits and vegetables. Uh, but I'm not joking about this. Chris called me the other day and we're talking. He's like, Derek, I ate three pieces of broccoli tonight that Jen made for me. So I said, good boy, <laughs> like I would to my dog. Uh, but no, seriously, he's making small steps toward a larger goal of living a healthier lifestyle. Uh, he's changing his lifestyle to a healthier lifestyle. So when I first got started going to the gym, and uh, this is long before I was ever a personal trainer or going to school for exercise science, I was this pudgy hipster kid with this ugly beard and no desire to ever get off the couch. And my, my uh, schedule was kind of, kind of went like this, where I would go to school and on the way I would stop and get uh, one of those long chocolate Kincannon's donuts and a 44-ounce Diet Mountain Dew. Uh, and then on the way home from school, I'd, I'd, I'd get the same thing. Uh, so that was my, and then I'd come home and eat Cheetos and more Diet Mountain Dew. Uh, but I finally, I felt convicted. You know, I knew something had to change. So I got up three days a week, and I went to the gym for 20 minutes. And when I say 20 minutes, that may be a stretch, because five of those minutes were doing this move right here, just back and forth, you know, because I was just deny, or delaying the inevitable of uh, actually lifting a weight. Um, and I would go 20 minutes, and I would leave tired and huffing and puffing and sore. But I did it, um, and I kept doing it. You know, my diet hadn't changed at that point. Um, my motivation really hadn't changed at that point either. Um, I didn't necessarily enjoy it, uh, but I did it. But then I started to enjoy it. You know, I started to like it more and more. I started to see the change in my life, you know, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I was happier with myself, and I was more confident, and I had more motivation to seek after God. You know, when I started doing that, my, my dedication to spending time with God uh, went through the roof. And now it's become a staple in my life. And I know it's because God was just saying, get up, do something, go do anything. And for you, this could be playing with the dog. It could be walking around the block a few times, uh, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Maybe this would be your first day ever doing Zumba. Uh, it would be my first day ever. Uh, or maybe... Uh, in the wellness center. Maybe it's going to be your first time ever lifting a weight, and that's okay. You start where you're at, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, it's okay to start where you are with small changes. It says it in Romans. And you know, if you eat a burger from McDonald's every day for lunch, don't just assume that you're going to be able to make protein shakes and eat light salads and that everything's going to be great and all this change is going to happen because you're going to be miserable if you just try to make these drastic changes all at once, you know. How about switching to a grilled chicken sandwich at first? Uh, making small changes. If broccoli's not a part of your diet right now and you don't like broccoli, don't try to eat a whole bag of broccoli, okay? Uh, maybe three pieces like Chris. Or maybe you find another vegetable. You're like, hey, I like this vegetable. It's green. That's good. Uh, Start there, start where you're at, and then you can build off of that. And it leads to another law of change, which is controlling our body. You know, we've talked about cleansing it, caring for it, and controlling it. Controlling my body is an act of worship to God when I do it 
for the right motivation. Out of motivation to serve Him. You know, the self-made man usually worships his own maker. Okay, I'll repeat that. The self-made man usually worships his own maker. Okay, we're not saying we're doing this because of how good it makes us look or how... Uh, it's, it's not all about us. We're doing this because we want to please God. You will feel better about yourself, and you will feel like the way you look better, but the goal is to, to please God in this, and it becomes an act of worship. You know, it, and it's not an act of worship automatically. It's an act of worship if you're doing it out of reverence for God. Uh, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4 says, Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. In other words, I control my body. It does not control me. And I don't say I couldn't help myself because that's an excuse. Whenever we say we can't help ourselves, we're just making up an excuse because we can help ourselves. We can start to make the right choices and we can start to put ourselves in better position healthy or health-wise. I read an article on health the other day and there was one statistic uh, that really stood out to me. And it says 75% of the 2.5 trillion with the T dollars of U.S. healthcare costs, 75% of all the money spent on healthcare, which is 2.5 trillion dollars, stems from chronic disease, which can be prevented by lifestyle choices. What that means is it's up to us. You know, all this expense stuff, Obamacare and political stuff. This is not a political statement. Okay, regardless of what you think or political affiliation you have, we wouldn't even need to talk about it. Uh, if we were more responsible and we started making uh, these better choices. You know, 75% of all that health care is due to things that we're not cleansing, controlling, or caring for uh, with our bodies. So why are we starting with the physical aspect? Well, number one, it says offer your bodies. You know, any change you start with the body. That's because no matter what kind of change you want to make in your life, mental, physical, financial, spiritual, social, whatever the change may be, it requires energy. And the reason why we don't change is we just don't have the energy. I'm sure a lot of us have felt that. We're just too tired. We're too tired to change. We don't have the energy to change. And so that's going to lead us into the second principle, which is this. The principle of concentration, that is I must refocus my mind. That's what the Bible says, and it's the second step. I must refocus my mind. Uh, Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He's talking about the way the world thinks. Uh, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason why he starts here with the mind is because whatever gets your attention gets you. Right? Whatever gets your attention, that gets you. We've got to stop thinking about what we don't want and start thinking about what we do want, okay? We've got to stop thinking about eliminating behaviors and start thinking about good behaviors we can adapt. Uh, we've got to stop focusing on what's bad for us and stop fo- or start focusing on what's good for us. We've got to stop focusing on our own plan and start focusing on God's plan. And we've got to stop focusing on what everybody else wants for us in our life and start focusing on what God wants for us in our life. We've got to stop focusing on the negative and start focusing on the positive. And we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And again, this is a very powerful verse. And we could spend a day on this verse as well. The last two verses, we could spend two days on just these two verses and more. Uh, But we're just going to hit the high points. Now, first it says, do not conform. And we know what conform means. It means to copy everybody else. Um, Too often we let everybody else in our lives shape our lives. 
You know, have you ever done anything that's ridiculous or dumb or risk, risky or unhealthy because everybody else was doing it? And we're all so mature now that I'm sure that never happens. But when we were kids, I'm sure it happened all the time, right? I could give you a hundred things where we and I have started because of somebody else. But he's saying, do not copy, do not conform. And notice it says any longer. You might circle any longer on your outline. Uh, when you do something for a long time, it's called a habit. It can start off as something that you just decided to do, but more likely it starts off as copying other people, and it becomes a habit in our life. It becomes habitual. When you've done it for a long time, all of a sudden you're no longer copying somebody else. It's now your habit. It's your habit, your hurt, your hang-up, your addiction, and your compulsion. It's now yours, and you own it because you've been doing it for so long. And if this is something that, that resonates with you, really want to encourage you. Be a part of Celebrate Recovery. Uh, meets here on Thursday nights here at the White, 7 o'clock. Uh, Chuck Mock, who led worship this morning, leads it. And guess what? We all have habits and hurts and hang-ups and addictions and compulsions. And this is a great place to be around others and be encouraged by others um, and to heal from these vices. So really encourage you to be a part of Celebrate Recovery Thursday nights, 7 here at the Y. Uh, but it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And the point is, is this. Everything you've learned in your life, you've learned from a pattern. You've learned from a model. And that's how we learn. You learned by a model. The problem is, is that there are no perfect models in the world. And every human being is imperfect. So you have, for instance, some models for conflict resolution growing up that weren't very good. And we're not just we're not singling out parents. We're, we're just talking about models in general. We're, we're exposed to so many models throughout life. Okay, uh, You may have had some models for anger management growing up that weren't very good. Uh, you may have learned some models for eating that weren't very good. You may have learned some models for how you use your mouth and your language that weren't very good. Um, you've learned some models and some patterns uh, growing up about procrastination that weren't very good. And a lot of the models and a lot of the patterns that you grew up with were defective. And you're going to have to actually learn new patterns. Uh, you're going to have to not conform to those old patterns anymore. And you're going to have to change the way you think. Um, you're going to have to learn some new models and actually get some new patterns in your life. So another law of change is to change my life, I must change my model. I've got to get a picture of a new way of doing things. I've got to see a new way. I've got to stop conforming to that old habitual pattern and the way I thought I was supposed to do it. And I've got to get a new way of actually doing things. The uh, Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Bad models can corrupt good character. Now, there's only one perfect model too, right? Uh, God sent him to earth in his name is Jesus. Twenty times Jesus says, follow me. Why? Because he's the perfect model. He's the perfect example. He says, follow my example. Paul, uh, six times, says, follow me as I follow Christ and imitate me. He doesn't say, follow me because I'm Paul. He says, follow me because I follow Christ. Imitate me. You're going to have a good model if you do that. Um, that's like when kids are growing up. They're going to be in a group. And the only question is whether they're going to be a part of a negative one or positive one. And they're going to have peer influences. It is impossible for them not to and for us not to have models 
in our lives. So we need to choose our models carefully. When a caterpillar wraps itself in a cocoon, when it comes out, it's not a better version of the caterpillar. When it comes out of the cocoon, it's a completely different animal. That's not reformation. That's not renewal. That's not improvement. That's transformation, and it's radical transformation. And only God can do that. You know, positive thinking alone cannot do that. Only God can turn a caterpillar into a butterfly. You know, we can turn over a new leaf. Lots of people turn over new leaves every day. That's easy to do. But only God can give you new life. And the Bible calls it being born again. And it's like being a whole new life. We're getting a whole new life. You know, not just turning over a new leaf uh, or a new life. Or it's not just turning over a new leaf, but getting a whole new life. You're being transformed. It's metamorphosis. You're going from an ugly caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. Isn't that the most beautiful butterfly you've ever seen? Uh, so look at this verse on renewing your mind. The Bible says, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, those desires being uh, those impulses and comp compulsions that pull us in the wrong direction, and be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's the point we want to understand here. In the renewal of our minds, we've got to take off before we can put on. Now, let's say you go over to the mall and you want to get a brand new coat. And you find a coat that you like and you take it into the fitting room. And you go in there wearing a coat already and you put the new coat on over the old coat. Okay, that's ridiculous. A few things. You're going to be hot. Okay. Second, you're not going to really know if it fits because... Uh, you're probably going to have to go up a few sizes if you're trying on a, a bulky coat uh, underneath. And third, you're going to look a lot like this kid. What is it? What is it? What is it? arms down when you get to school. Did anybody watch all 24 hours of that? I felt like I did. I think I watched it twice. Uh, no, you're not going to be able to put your arms down if you try a coat on over a coat. You've got to take off the old coat before you can put on the new one. And that's true spiritually and emotionally and mentally. You've got to take off before you can put on. And that is the part of renewing your mind. So now we're coming up on the third principle. So if I were to call you up and I were to say to you, I'm coming over to your house this afternoon, tell me how to get to your house, what would be the first question you would ask me, other than why are you demanding to come over to my house? So what, what would, somebody, what would you ask me uh, if, I, if I said that? Where are you coming from? And you guys are quick. First one, it took a little bit, and then one of my students got it. I was so proud. Uh, no, you'd say, where are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you? Okay. Uh, I, hopefully that would be something you would ask at least because you know the principle in theory. Um, you don't know how to get where you need to go until first you know where you are. That's like a famous line in a lot of songs, a lot of lyrics. Okay, uh, It's a principle of life. It's a principle of change. You don't know where you need to be until first you know where you are. So if I said, I'm coming over to your house, and you said, where are you? And I said, I don't know. 
you probably can't tell me how to get there. Um, I could be in Hawaii. I could be in Sp Spain, both of which would be wonderful right now, uh, as opposed to the snow. I could be in Louisiana. No one, you don't know. You can't give me directions if I don't know where I'm at. So I've got to figure out where I am before I can know where I want to be. And that's the third principle of change, and it's this. It's the principle of evaluation. I must humbly assess my current state. I must humbly, because it does, it does take humility, must humbly assess my current state. And we talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, the first and greatest barrier to your change in your life, the number one barrier to change in your life, in any area of your life, is pride. Saying, I don't have any problems. Me? Nah, I'm good. You know, I don't have any problems. We don't want to admit we need to change. But the thing is, is nobody has, no one has it all together. I don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. The Pope doesn't have it all together. Nobody has it all together, okay? The Bible says there's nothing perfect on earth except God's Word. Everything on this planet is broken because of sin. You've ever noticed that your body doesn't work perfectly? Even athletes that we would consider like really strong, in-shape athletes, then they go tear their ACL. Their body doesn't work perfectly. You ever notice your relationships don't work perfectly? The weather doesn't work perfectly? I'm sure a lot of you were thinking that yesterday. Uh, nothing works perfectly on this planet. And that's because we live on a broken planet full of sin. So nothing's perfect. But then we pretend like we've got it all together. You know, nothing is perfect around us, but we've got it all together. We walk around trying to impress people, making them think we've got it all together. And you know you don't have it all together. And God knows you don't have it all together. And we all know you don't have it all together. So why do we try to pretend that we have it all together? I have to admit when I don't have it all together. And I have to ha admit if I have a problem with my finances, with my health, with my relationships, with whatever. We have to admit we have a problem. So, being candid, I have a problem with time management and prioritizing. And I'm working on that. And you can ask the people or ask staff at the office. They'll tell you, I'm not perfect, but I'm getting better. And I know where I struggle, and that is how I will get better at it. So verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, which is humility, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now first he says, don't think of yourselves more highly. In other words, be humble. A cute little line to remember, be humble or you'll stumble. That's cute, right? I got jokes. Don't think more highly of yourself, it says. Don't think I don't have any problems. My family's perfect. Really? My kids are perfect. As the youth pastor, I will promise you that your students, albeit close, are not perfect. Okay? My health is perfect. Really? My job is perfect. Really? You're like, oh, you work at a church. My job's not perfect. Stop trying to think more highly of yourself. Just be honest and be authentic and be real and be humble. And then he says, think of your life with sober judgment. Be realistic. The New Living Translation actually says, be honest in your estimate of yourself. So I'm going to ask you some, some honest questions right now. You know, what are you pretending is not a problem in your life? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your marriage? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your finances? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your health? And do you have enough courage 
to confront yourself on these areas. That's what this verse is all about. Do you have the courage to confront yourself, or even more so, to ask those closest to you to tell you honestly what you need to change in 2014? Now, I'm not saying you should live for other people's opinion of you, but if you're close enough with somebody, they can probably give a pretty honest uh, estimate of where you're at in life right now. Do you have that kind of courage? Do you have the courage to be honest about you? And do you have the courage to ask other people to be honest about you? And that's step three in change, evaluation. Humbly assess my current state. So then it goes on and it says, Do not think of yourselves more highly. Evaluate your life with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We're going to talk about that word faith there. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. So you're going to need to ask what is the measure of faith I've got, okay? And what is the measure of faith I'm going to need in order to change? Where am I at right now in my faith? And where do I need to be in order to change in my faith? Do I have enough faith to believe that I can change? How much faith am I going to need to believe that I can change? Do I even really believe that I can change? Do I believe that I can be different than I am right now? And some of you may believe that today, but some of you may not believe that today. Well, we want to tell you that you can, and God wants to help you change. So you may be saying, okay, well, I don't have enough faith. How do I get more faith? The Bible says faith comes from hearing the word of God. So the more you hear the word of God, the more your faith grows. Uh, This will feed your soul, and it will stretch your faith. You will have more faith. And why is this important? Because limited faith means limited future, and unlimited faith means unlimited future. According to your faith, it will be done unto you, is what Jesus says. Now, we're not talking prosperity gospel things where it's like, oh, if I pray for 10 hours a day, I'm going to get a billion dollars. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, But we're talking about growing in our faith. Uh, The more we hear the word of God, the more we grow in our faith. He says you need to know the measure of your faith. You need to take a measurement of where your faith is right now. Uh, Why is this measurement so important? Well, this third law of change from the Word of God Bible says, I can only manage what I can measure. You know, if you don't measure your faith, you can't manage it. If I don't know the measure of my faith, I can't manage my faith. I can't grow in faith. If I don't know the measure of my health, I can't develop and grow in my health. So I'll give you a couple practical applications here. First thing you can do is record your progress. Record your progress in any goal, okay? I don't care if you keep a journal or a record or whatever you want to do to record it. Just record it. Um, If you're going to set some health goals, some financial goals, any other kind of goal, record your progress throughout the year so that you can measure your faith and you can measure your growth and you can measure your progress. So here's a picture of what I use. Uh, This is my workout journal. On the left, everything I do, every lift, whether I am happy with the way I lift it or happy how much I lift it or not, I write it down. It's not about making yourself feel better. It's about being honest with yourself. So I write it down. And then on the right side, I write down everything I eat in a day. Uh, Every meal, I track everything. And I can also put stuff down there for, like, how did I feel today? What do I need to change? Was I sore today? Uh, I can put down the day, all kinds of things. This is how I track my progress. Uh, I record everything I do uh, because then I can see the progress, and it inspires me. Sometimes we forget how far we've come from. Um, if I had, I wish I would have started day one with one of these. This took me a while to get used to this. But had I have started day one and to see that now, there's a lot of change there. Um, but you start to see that change and it inspires you. It gives you more faith. 
and lets us know that God can help us see the change in our lives that we want to see. And another practical application is, is just to do what the principle teaches. You need to know your starting numbers. Um, there are four that I'm going to suggest that you know. Your weight, your height, your waistband, and your blood pressure. Those are four numbers that you'll want to know. Um, and the things that you're going to need to know because that's the starting point. That's where you're at. Uh, and then you're going to progress from there. Those numbers aren't going to stay the same. You're saying, okay, well, I don't have one of those journals. I don't feel like buying one. Uh, how can I track my progress? Well, we have a resource for you. We want to give you as many resources as possible throughout this change campaign. And so we're creating a website that's going to be live uh, tomorrow. Uh, and we're going to keep it going even after the, the series is done. Um, and I'm going to be updating this with motivational workout tips, videos, uh, healthy food alternatives, recipes, um, inspirational articles. But there's also going to be a place for you to enter in your own numbers. And we want you to do this. Um, and you may be like, why? Why do you want to know? Um, we'd love to see just see as a church just how much change is actually happening. Uh, you know, it's going to be anonymous. You don't have to put your name on there. Uh, but there's going to be a place where you can put numbers. So let's say you lose five pounds in a week. Put that on there. If you can lift 10 pounds more than you could a year ago, put that on there. Or you've gone down a pant size. We want to celebrate this with you. Um, we're all about seeing change here at the JAR. Um, so be checking out the website. It's thejar.org. There's going to be a link that you can click that will lead you to that website. It's going to be kind of a blog uh, type of website. So check it out. Um, and that will lead us into our next principle, which is principle four. And this is the principle of cooperation, which says, I must get group support. The Bible says God wired the universe in such a way that we need each other. You know, we, we get well in community. I need you and you need me. And 58 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used. Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, greet one another, share with one another. 58 times. It is the mutual ministry and support of each other through life. Uh, and the Bible says this in the next verse, in verse 4. It says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body, and each one of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. I didn't say this. God says this, okay? Um, we belong to each other. We need each other. You need me, and I need you, and you need the other people around you, and they need you. And we belong to each other. I don't have to go into this principle too much because we've been taught this a lot, this importance of community. But I'll just say a few things. Um, change requires community. It's not a solo issue, okay? You change faster, you change better, you change longer, you change more completely, you change permanently through community. The areas of your, your life that you say, I can never stop that, I cannot break that habit, it will break if you get into community because of the two things you need. There are a lot of good self-help books out there that will tell you, tell you the right thing to do, but they don't provide the two things the Bible says you need, and that's God's power and community. That's what you really need to change, God's power and community. Lots of good books will tell you what to do, but they don't provide God's power, and they don't provide community. And we really want to encourage you to be a part of a small group. Uh, the small group table uh, is back there. You should check it out before you leave. It's, it's uh, by the door 
uh, before you leave. Get involved in a small group. Great ways to be involved in community. Um, people that will, that will support you and you can support them. Um, really encourage you to do that. There's one most nights of the week. We even have one on Sunday mornings. Um, so really encourage you to get involved in a small group because it is some amazing community here at the JAR. And that leads us into our fifth principle, which is uh, the principle of affirmation. I must fill my life with love. If you want to have lasting change, and if I want lasting change in my life, I must fill my life with love. And if I want lasting change, uh, permanent change in my life, I must fill my life with love. And I'm not trying to be lovey-dovey, mushy here. I'm just stating the fact. Love is, is very powerful. It can change the unchangeable, and it's the only thing that can. Um, it's the most powerful force in the world because love invigorates and it revitalizes and it renews and it refreshes. And most importantly, it's because God is love. The Bible doesn't say God has love. It says he is love. It actually defines God as love. Um, and love heals uh, what cannot be healed otherwise. And it uplifts and it strengthens. You know, love energizes. It gives you energy when you don't have any energy. And it, it will empower you when you don't have power. And in Songs of Solomon in the Bible, it says, love is stronger than death. And think about that. Love is stronger than death. It's stronger than divorce. It's stronger than breakups. It's stronger than discouragement and depression and disease. Love is stronger than doubt. And it's stronger than anything else. And you must fill your life with love because it is the strongest power in the universe. And that's how you're really going to change. Verse 9 says, don't just pretend you love others. Really love them. Hate what is evil because sometimes we do have to confront evil. But stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And I love that. Taking delight in honoring each other. If you, do you know what that means? It means in your small group, when people in your small group have a small win in health, in finances, in any area of life where they've set a goal, you celebrate with them. You celebrate their small wins. You tell them, good job. You did well. You lost two more pounds? That's awesome. You got a little bit out of debt? That is awesome. You had a breakthrough in your marriage. That's awesome. The Bible says take delight in honoring each other and show genuine affection. And God says when I look down and I see you helping other people, like in your small group, I'm going to help you. So you want help with your goals? Start helping other people with their goals. Show love. Give yourself away. Because there's a lot of healing in giving back. And we've got to give back. And how do you know when you've recovered? Is when you're helping somebody else. And you've got to give back. Why do you need to be in a small group? Not just so other people can help you, but so you can help other people as well. So you can pray for those people, and then God can help you. When you go to a group, you pray for the other people, and you watch God work in your life, and you give yourself away, and you give yourself in love. Now that leads to the last principle, which is just as important as all the others, and that's principle six, the principle of motivation. I must nurture my enthusiasm. And that is you've got to figure out how to nurture your enthusiasm. I must nurture my enthusiasm. I want to talk about this very frankly as we, as we get ready to wrap up. How do I nurture my enthusiasm? A guy by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson, a lot of you guys have heard of him, said, nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. I believe that with all my heart. You know, I found it to be true in my own life. Nothing great is ever accomplished without passion or without enthusiasm. You've got to have passion and you've got to have enthusiasm or you're never going to make it to the finish line. Not, I kind of want to get out of debt, because you're never going to get out of debt with that mentality. Or I really want to get into shape. 
Now, pass me those barbecue chips. We're never going to uh, nurture enthusiasm if that's, how we, if, if that's the attitude that we have. If we're just kind of ho-hum, half-hearted, no energy, no enthusiasm for our goal, we're never going to, to reach our goal. We've got to be passionate. and We've got to have enthusiasm or we're never going to do it. And I've noticed for a lot of people, it's very easy for people to get excited at the beginning of anything, and myself included. We all get excited at the beginning of something. That's why New Year's resolutions, uh, the first couple weeks at the gym, they're packed because everybody's excited. Um, but I think we could all agree that it's pretty easy to lose our enthusiasm. Uh, it's pretty easy to lose enthusiasm after a few days, a few weeks, a few minutes. Uh, we get distracted by other things. Um, so we're going to talk about how to maintain our enthusiasm, not just for weeks, not for months, but for the rest of your life. You know, how do you maintain enthusiasm so you can get goals that are not just one-year goals or two-year goals or 10-year goals or 40-year goals, but actual lifestyle changes and true change? You know, how do you set goals for your lifetime and then maintain the enthusiasm to actually reach those goals? They're so big, they keep pulling you, and you don't give up on them. How do you do that? How, how do you do that? How do you stay enthusiastic day in and day out in spite of delays and difficulties and dead ends and problems and pressures and criticisms? How do we stay enthusiastic for years and years? Friends, it takes more than positive thinking. And I'm not against positive thinking. I'm pro-positive thinking. Uh, it's certainly better than the alternative, which is negative thinking. I'm definitely not in favor of ne negative thinking. But positive thinking is not enough. Pulling yourself up by your own psychological bootstraps is not enough. Psyching yourself up and talking yourself into optimism is not enough. I can sit there and talk myself into optimism until I'm blue in the face. It's not going to make me more optimistic without God. The way you stay enthusiastic for a lifetime is actually found in the word enthusiasm. Here's where my two semesters of Greek at Ball State come to, to pay off, okay? So... Uh, enthusiasm comes from uh, the Greek word entheos, okay? En is the Greek word for the English word in. Not rocket science, okay? Um, theos is the Greek word for God. So enthusiasm literally translates into in God, okay? When you get in God, you will be enthusiastic. And it's this kind of gut-level enthusiasm that fills your heart with such enthusiasm that it doesn't matter whether the economy is tanking or soaring or whether it's raining or snowing or shining, or whether things are bad or they're good, or whether you feel healthy or whether you feel sick, or whether you're enthusiastic. It does not matter. Your enthusiasm is not dependent then upon your circumstances. It's not dependent on your circumstances because you're tied to God. You're tied to the rock of ages, to the eternal God, and you're in Christ, and you are in God, and you are eternally enthusiastic. And you need to do that. And Paul tells us how to do this in the last couple of verses we're going to look at today, verses 11 through 12. He says, Never be lacking in zeal, which is enthusiasm. Never, ever, ever be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, which means to nurture your enthusiasm. And then he tells you three ways to do it. He says, In serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. This verse right here, that's how you keep your spiritual fervor. This is how you keep enthusiasm. You be joyful in hope, so that even when things are going wrong, I can still be joyful and hope because I know God's plan and He wins in the end. God's plan is good, so I win in the end. And it says be patient in affliction because I know that even in pain, God's going to bring good out of it. 
Um, I can be patient even in the pain. A lot of us have experienced this. We've gone through a pain and then years later, we know that some good came from that. And then he says, be faithful in prayer. Why? Because in every problem I have two options. I'm either going to pray or I'm going to panic. I'm either going to worry or I'm going to worship. I'm going to fall on my knees and pray or I'm going to fall over and faint. And those are the options and those are my choices. So this next year you're going to set some goals in your life and you're going to screw up. And I'm going to screw up. We're all going to screw up with our goals. Because we're human. You know, I'm a sinner and so are you. You're going to screw up. I'm going to screw up. We're going to mess up. We're going to get off track and we're going to fall off the wagon and do this or that. But then God comes in and says, that's okay. Make a U-turn and get right back on track. It's not a big deal. You get God's power by being joyful in hope, being patient in affliction, and being faithful in prayer. Friends, what you need above all else is you need to get in God right now. So if you could please stand for, uh, for closing prayer with me. Uh, just a reminder, uh, Zumba is going on right after the celebration. Uh, and so we'll, we'll be in the Wellness Center as well. If you didn't bring workout clothes, run home, go grab them. We'll be here for a little while. Uh, and also, if you don't like doing either one of those things, I'm sure tearing down and the teardown team would love if you would uh, help do a workout with them by tearing down some of this, some of this equipment. So, uh, But if you could, just pray with me really quick. And the prayer team will be up here if you guys need prayer for anything as well. God, we just want to thank you so much for just being the true inspiration for change in our lives, God. We know that we cannot see change, true change, without you. Now, on our own, by our own bootstraps, we're not going to get very far. But God, you can help us uh, see true change. God, thank you for, for letting us know and, and how to tie uh, our spiritual dedication in with our physical dedication, how those things um, can mutually uh, encourage one another. Um, so, God, as we leave here today, uh, help us to be encouraged. Help us to encourage one another, God, and help us just to be dedicated to living a life that, that pleases you and to change in ways that, that please you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.